Good morning, everyone. Hopefully the sun does come out a bit here and warm us up, huh? Well, Daniel chapter 2, if you have a Bible with you, Daniel chapter 2. We began our study of this book last week. We continue today. And my title is The Conquering Kingdom of Christ. The Conquering Kingdom of Christ. Please follow along or listen along as Sharon reads a, a portion of our passage in Daniel chapter 2. Reading this morning from Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 through 30. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O oh, king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demands, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the God 
the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore, Daniel went in to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Sharon. Putting our readers to work today. Father, help us today as we, as we look at your word. Meet us, we ask you, in this profound passage, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to continue the, the nautical theme we left off in our singing worship. I, I finished college at UC Santa Barbara, and there I had a class in sailing. Yes, I have a college credit for sailing. And we would sail these little centerboard sailboats in the harbor. You had just underwater a little, a little piece of wood that helps you kind of go straight. But in these little boats, the, the slightest breeze catches your sail, and you've got to put your body weight way over on the boat to try to keep from capsizing. All you have underwater is a little piece of wood. But I've also been on larger sailboats. Maybe you have two, 30 feet or more. And they don't have a little piece of wood underwater. They have a keel filled with lead, a lead ballast. And that heavy weight, that lead ballast underwater keeps the boat upright, even in the strongest winds. Even out in the ocean. The boat may lean a bit, but it's not going to capsize. It's got this lead ballast underneath the water. Well, your soul is like that. It needs ballast, theological ballast, 
the ballast of truth from God's Word. You see, it's possible to be a centerboard Christian like those little boats tossed around by the slightest breeze. Or you can be a lead ballast Christian, steady when the strongest winds blow. Daniel chapter 2, it holds out lead ballast for you, theological ballast to hold you firm and steady, no matter how rough the seas or how strong the winds. So let's, let's unpack that ballast. There's a lot here, a lot we can't touch on. But let's unpack the story in three steps. First, the threatening king. Let's see the setting of the story. I would call the setting the threatening king. Verse 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was troubled. And his sleep left him. King of the vast Babylonian empire has dreams, plural. It appears to be the same dream repeatedly, which disturbs King Nebuchadnezzar greatly. He can't sleep. He's become an insomniac because he believes the gods, his gods, communicate through dreams. And this dream seems ominous. Maybe the gods are warning him. So he must know their message. He must get the right interpretation of this dream. But how? I know, he thinks. I'll make my wise men tell me the content of the dream first, and then I'll know they have the interpretation correct. So he summons them, and a humorous back and forth ensues. I don't know if you saw that. Um, tell us the dream, O king, and we'll tell you the interpretation. No, tell me the dream first. Ah, uh, okay, just tell us the dream, O king, and we'll tell you what it means. No, tell me the dream, or I'll have your arms and legs pulled off, and then your house pulled down. A serious threat not only to them, but also to Daniel and his friends. Daniel and friends are Jewish exiles, captives taken from the land of Israel. They're being groomed as, in effect, wise men for the Babylonian king. So they're also at risk, we find. Now recall, recall that Daniel and friends have been taken to Babylon in the very first wave of exiles in 605 B.C. There were two more massive wave of exiles after that. And those people are likely the first readers of this account. Imagine, imagine how they would be feeling. God's people exiled in Babylon. They're suffering and undoubtedly afraid. They're fearful. They're feeling threatened. They're exiles in a hostile land. And, and we can relate to that in ways, can't we? Can't we relate to that? The Christian is also an exile. Our citizenship is not ultimately here. It's ultimately in heaven. We are pilgrims traveling to a heavenly destination. We are in this world, but not of this world, Jesus said. We are exiles too, who often feel threatened 
by the powers that be. And we see the church's influence waning in the culture and the hostility of the culture increasing. And we feel threatened. And we get afraid. And that fear comes out in what we post on social media or how we process the news, political developments, and world affairs. And that fear gets expressed in how we think about those who don't know Christ. They become people who must be defeated instead of loved and told good news. We need, like these exiles, we need theological ballast. So first catch, first catch how powerful, mighty king Nebuchadnezzar is portrayed here. The most powerful human on the planet at the time, and he's helpless. He can't sleep. He can't get any sleep. He, he's given dreams that torment him. He can't understand his dreams. He's named for the Babylonian god of wisdom, Nabu, but he's ignorant. He's in darkness. The most powerful man on the planet. It should force exiles then and now to ask, you know, who's really in control? Who's really ruling and reigning? right now. That's what we find next. Having seen the threatening king, we see, secondly, the reigning king, the true reigning king. Daniel hears of Nebuchadnezzar's threat and tells the captain of the king's guard, give me an appointment with the king. Get me on his calendar. He goes home, tells his friends and fellow exiles, verse 18, Seek mercy from the God of heaven, the God of heaven concerning this mystery. Now, God of heaven is an expression used four times in this chapter, meaning God is over and above every human earthly power. He reigns, the God of heaven does. And the God of heaven reveals the dream. And Daniel responds in worship, in praise. Verse 20. Verse 20, blessed be or praise be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. Notice that. Wisdom for the mysteries and might to rule and reign over all as Daniel describes next. Verse 21, he, the God of heaven, changes times and seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. The God of heaven reigns over history changes the times, changes the seasons, and he rules over who rules on the earth. He removes kings and sets up kings. Verse 21 continues. He, the God of heaven, gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows, he knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. Do you catch the contrast set up between the threatening king, Nebuchadnezzar, and the reigning king, the living God? The threatening king can't sleep. He has no wisdom. 
He's tormented in darkness about his dreams. By contrast, the living God, in verse 21, gives wisdom. He reveals what is hidden. He knows what is in darkness, for he truly reigns over all. It's a contrast here between the weakness and impotence of human leaders and the power and might of the reigning king, the living God. It's a contrast I think you catch in a rather famous poem by Percy Shelley called Ozymandias. The poem goes like this. I met a traveler from an antique land who said, quote, two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert near them on the sand. Half sunk, a shattered visage lies whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command. So catch the imagery. It's a, it's a huge broken statue. It's got legs still standing in the sand and then near it, a shattered visage, a shattered face. And then he says, on the pedestal, these words, my name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty and despair. And Percy Shelley adds, nothing beside remains. Nothing beside remains round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare. The lone and level sands stretch far away. You catch the imagery? All that's left of Ozymandias' reign, his kingdom, is sand. A broken statue surrounded by sand. It's a picture of the inevitable decline of every ruler like Nebuchadnezzar and every president and prime minister, every dictator, for that matter, every government and country. They boast like Ozymandias, look at what I can do, look at me, and end up a broken statue surrounded by sand. And verse 21 tells us why. He, God, changes times and seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. He gives wisdom knowledge. He knows what is hidden and what is in the darkness. He has perfect wisdom and might. This is ballast for your soul, to see this God. I read, I read that the Weather Channel is the most watched TV network in the U.S. The Weather Channel. Makes sense, I think. We want to know what the future holds because life feels like it's out of control and is out of our control. So at least tell me the weather. But Daniel is showing us who really is in control. It seems to me so much of our fear revolves around who is in power or not in power. Which political party? Which governor? Which president? Who holds the Congress? Who is on the Supreme Court? 
And those things all have their own importance. Don't misunderstand me. There is a, there's a godly concern. A godly concern we should have about all those things. But whomever is in power in Washington or Sacramento is not ultimately determinative. God is. Human leaders are important, but they're secondary causes, not primary causes. God here in Daniel's praise is the primary cause. Behind those who think they're pulling the levers of history stands the one with ultimate authority, ultimate power, and ultimate wisdom, and he is truly moving the levers of history. That's what Daniel realizes as this vision, this dream is revealed. The reigning king. It should quiet our fears and comfort our hearts. Because we find next that our God will accomplish all of his purposes through or despite any human leader. But we see third, the conquering kingdom. This is really the climax and the main point of the story. The conquering kingdom. Having seen the threatening king, contrasted by the reigning king, now see the conquering kingdom. Daniel is brought before King Nebuchadnezzar, who asks, can you tell me my dream? And you have to love Daniel's answer. I can't do it, but God can. And he tells him the dream. He says it's of a great image described beginning in verse 32. Look at verse 32. Here's the description of the image that Nebuchadnezzar has been dreaming about. Verse 32. The head of this image was of fine gold, Daniel says. Its chest and arms of silver. Its middle and thighs of bronze. Its legs of iron its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And as you looked, O king, as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. And notice how verse 35 ends. But the stone, the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the earth. Daniel nailed the dream and gives the interpretation as we read, read on. And Nebuchadnezzar, at the end of the chapter, falls down on his face in homage before Daniel. The most powerful man on the planet falls down before a Jewish slave, showers him with gifts, and promotes his friends. I'm sure there's a message in that for the exiles as well. But what I want to see with you is how God, through Daniel just laid out world history in advance. 
So much so that critics say this could not have been written in the 6th century BC. It's just too accurate. No one can predict world events so accurately, they say, but God can. The God we've been seeing in this passage can. The one who changes times and seasons and removes kings and sets up kings, he can. This is his word. This is his word. And so Daniel explains. O king, your empire, the Babylonian empire, is the head of gold, which probably made Nebuchadnezzar feel a bit better. And then he says, other empires are going to come and go. And we today know what those were. The Medes and Persians conquered the Babylonians. They are the chest of silver. Then Greece arose under Alexander the Great, the thighs of bronze. And then Rome, the Roman Empire, took its place. The legs of iron, the legs of iron with feet made of iron and clay, the Roman Empire. And then, as you saw, Daniel says, a stone cut by no human hand strikes the image on those feet and the whole thing crumbles. This stone crushes all human empires. It's pieces like pieces that blow away with the wind in verse 35. All of them, all of them are crushed. Not a trace in verse 35. Not a trace is found. It's complete conquest complete conquest by this little stone that becomes a great mountain and fills the earth. Now, just think about for a moment the clarity this would bring to those 6th century B.C. exiles. Not just comfort, but clarity. They would realize that all human king kingdoms are temporary, but God's kingdom is eternal. They would realize that all human kingdoms are limited in power, but God's kingdom is unstoppable and unconquerable. They would realize their exile would end. The Babylonian Empire would fall. It was clarity that they were a part of what would conquer and last forever if they were true believers in Yahweh, the living God. And that's the clarity. That's the clarity we should have as exiles today. For during the Roman Empire, with those feet of iron and clay, the stone came. Born in a little unimpressive village called Bethlehem. Born under mysterious circumstances, you might say, without a known human father, like a stone cut by no human hand. And Jesus Christ takes that stone imagery and he draws on Psalm 118 and he draws on Isaiah 8 and he says, that's talking about me. He said to people opposing him in Luke chapter 20, What then is this that is written? The stone, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And then he comments, listen, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Sounds a lot like Daniel chapter 2. 
Daniel sees a stone coming to crush all human kingdoms. And Jesus says, in effect, I am that stone. And his kingdom becomes that great mountain, which one day will fill the earth. And friends, I want you to realize that's the message of the entire Bible, summed up in Daniel 2. It's what the Bible is all about, God's kingdom. Let me explain briefly. I want to give you some handles on this. The Bible begins with God's kingdom as God's people, Adam and Eve, in God's place, the Garden of Eden, happily under God's rule, enjoying God's blessing. That's God's kingdom, according to Graham Goldsworthy. I think it's helpful. God's people, in God's place, under God's rule, enjoying God's blessing. Well, that kingdom was forfeited in Eden. It's later pictured in ancient Israel under the kings of David. But in Daniel's day, in Daniel's day, that kingdom had been forfeited, right? God's people are now in exile, out of the land, exiled by the hand of the Babylonians. And then, as Daniel saw, the Medes and the Persians come and go. Greece comes and goes. The Romans are on the scene when the stone comes and announces the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Mark chapter 1. It should send chills up your spine. The time is fulfilled. I wonder if he was thinking about Daniel too. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is, is at hand because the king is at hand. The conquering king is at hand. But he conquers the first time in a very ironic way, doesn't he? Through a cross, through his suffering, dying for his people's sins. That God's people might be brought back under God's rule and enjoy God's blessing until they are in God's perfect place forever. On that day, his kingdom, when he returns, will fill the earth. Revelation 11, verse 15. Revelation 11, verse 15. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. That sounds like Daniel 2.35 to me. The stone becomes a mountain and fills the earth. The point of the whole Bible is summed up here in Daniel chapter 2. I would put it like this. Our God, our God is sovereignly reigning, sovereignly reigning to unstoppably advance the conquering kingdom of Christ. That, that's the ballast. I really hope you take it away today in your heart. That God is sovereignly reigning to unstoppably, unstoppably advance the conquering kingdom of the stone, Jesus Christ. I think that's ballast. I think that's clarity you need in three ways. I want to make 
as we close here, three, three applications, three ways this ballast, I think, can function for us. First, it shows us the relative place of human countries and governments. The relative place of human countries and governments. Colin Hansen tells of having a dinner with a well-known Christian leader who said that America is the last hope of Christianity. Well, Hansen thought he misheard the guy. I, 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 must, <laughs> I must have misheard what he said. So he corrected him. You mean Christianity is the last hope of America, right? And the well-known Christian leader said, no, America is the last hope of Christianity. And Hansen writes, that's Christian nationalism. America, the last hope of Christianity. I don't know of a passage that more powerfully contradicts that idea than Daniel chapter 2. Think with me for a moment. It's, it's clear here that God doesn't need our country or any country. Now, it's right and good to love our country. It's right and good to work for the welfare of our country. But God's kingdom doesn't need our country. God here raises up and brings down countries. Christ's kingdom here conquers, crushes human empires. Human kingdoms blow away here without a trace. Do you live with that clarity? Do you have that ballast? And when it comes to politics, is that ballast functioning in your soul? Or are you blown back and forth by whatever happens in Washington. Friends, view, view the political realm theologically in light of God's sovereign reign unstoppably advancing the conquering kingdom of Christ. See the political realm theologically. Second, this is truth, this is ballast, this is clarity about the priority of God's kingdom Expressed in the church is a second application. The priority of God's kingdom expressed in the church. Think back to how we describe the kingdom of God. God's people, under God's rule, experiencing God's blessing. Well, that's the church. The church is made up of God's people who are under God's rule, experiencing God's blessing in Christ, heading to God's perfect place forever. The church, catch this, the church makes visible God's currently invisible spiritual kingdom. Let me say that again. The church makes visible, seen, the currently invisible spiritual kingdom of God. So each local church becomes a visible outpost, a visible outpost of God's kingdom. So when you think the church is threatened and might capsize, grab this ballast for your soul. Alistair Begg tells the story of how in the 1920s, 
Lord Wraith helped to establish the BBC, British Broadcasting Corporation. Then in the 1960s, a young producer for the BBC stood up in a meeting and said, you know, the BBC doesn't need to continue its religious programming because the church is becoming obsolete, he said. The young producer stands up, the church is becoming obsolete. Lord Reith says, sit down, young man. <laughs> and he stands up and says, Quote, the church will stand at the grave of the BBC. And Alistair Begg writes, and the church will stand at the grave of CNN and the Fox Network. And so, he says, give yourself to the church. Serve your church family. Give yourself to it. Listen, because when the Lord builds his church through our labors, gifts, and giving, we are being used to build the only kingdom that will last forever. What an important lesson for exiles today. Do you have that ballast when it comes to Christ's church? This priority, this, this confidence. The truth of Christ's eternal kingdom produces confidence that helps us prioritize the church. And one more, third. Let me give you one more application. This truth, this clarity, is it's like ballast for us about the supremacy of Jesus Christ over all. The supremacy of Jesus Christ over all. So many Christians, it seems, are are venting their anger or their fears on social media or other ways. But Daniel chapter 2, it's like watching a movie or a sporting event in which you already know the ending. Ever happen? That, that, you ever do that? You're, you're watching a movie or some sporting event. You know how it ends already. So there's no real tension, no real worry in your heart at each twist and turn of the plot or in the game. You're not freaking out. You're really not afraid because you know how it ends. Daniel chapter 2 provides the ending for us. History's ending. King Jesus conquers and reigns forever. He is supreme. Yes, yes, there's a lot of pain for God's people along the way. Yes. But don't forget the ending. With global conflicts, economic challenges, pandemics, who's in office, who's not in office. Friends, live. Live knowing the ending. It's not up in the air. Live knowing that Christ is reigning and Christ is returning. And when he returns, he fully conquers all of his enemies that he already defeated at the cross. So it's really a question of, will you be a centerboard Christian like my class at UCSB? Blown and tossed back and forth. Or will you be a lead ballast Christian? Even when strong winds blow, you're steady. You're held firm. You're not going to capsize. Because you know 
you know that God is sovereignly reigning to unstoppably advance the conquering kingdom of Christ. Look to Christ, friends. Look to Christ and be at rest. Let's pray. And if you would take a moment to consider if a new vision needs to flood your heart and soul, a bigger vision of God, a bigger vision of his purposes being accomplished right now, a bigger vision of a sure ending and a conquering king. Allow the Holy Spirit to give you comfort and clarity. Ballast and peace. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We stand in awe of your word. O God who reveals mysteries, who sees what is hidden, who removes kings and sets up kings, Help us to see you as the God who governs human history and our own lives personally. And build in us, we pray, even now, confidence that come what may, we're not shrinking back in fear because we know the ending. We know the king who's reigning and returning. We know that his kingdom will fill the earth. And all who are in Christ, all who are in Christ, shall be included. We thank you. Open our eyes, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper helps us